The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Aaronsmeely, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. Do you find it harder than ever to focus? (laughs) In the way that most of us operate today at work, focus is really hard. Anytime you're on a conference call for work, you're still probably getting pings and dings and slacks and texts and God knows what else to interrupt you. Or your brain might be interrupting itself with ruminating or anxiety about a family situation or the future or anything else. What that means in practice, though, is that other people know that you're not focused or maybe you're distracted And you might be less effective at communicating what you need to communicate at that time. The day of this conversation, I was really distracted with a family issue, and I was taping from my basement studio where, as luck would have it, the washing machine was still running and the boiler and causing a whole lot of background noise. Don't worry, you won't hear that. My guest didn't have it much easier. On a hot day, her AC had broken down. But as we started talking... I realized this was actually pretty appropriate, given my guest's expertise, because she's all about staying present. And this will help in our communication with other people, the way we talk about and mentally support ourselves as well. Cynthia Kane joins me today. She's a certified meditation and mindfulness instructor who focuses on communication routines. And later on, she'll guide us through a bit of a mindfulness practice. But first, I wanted to ask the question that many of us have in this world of overwork. When you feel the pressure to stay professional, but you're not feeling all that mindful and present. It is true that it seems that these are things that we face daily, right? Um, These types of distractions and A lot of what we can do in these moments, especially with just coming from a situation that seems to keep going over and over in your mind, is really seeing if you can access right now even just, you know, putting your hand on your belly and just breathing in and out of the belly. Sometimes what ends up happening is we get so caught in our head, in our thinking mind, and we forget about the body. And... The moment that we can bring ourselves back into our bodies is really the moment where we can feel more grounded, more centered, and we can start to just touch base with the emotion that we're feeling. And once we can touch the emotion or that sensation in the body, then that's great because then there's movement there, right? And whereas when we're in our thinking mind, often there's really no movement forward. It's more round and round we go. Okay. I'm going to share something because Mm -hmm. this is, this is the anxious achiever and I'm me. So I put my fingers on my belly and Mm -hmm. my first thought was you've gained so much weight. Mm. You've let yourself go these past few weeks. Mm -hmm. So I have two follow-on questions. One, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do we do that? And two, is there a heart method that we could work on if our belly is controversial to touch? Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, first so much of it is You know, in that moment when you notice yourself talking to yourself in that way around the belly or just the body, to be able to see, there's two ways really. One is, can I drop the story that I have around where my hand is? Like, can I drop the story around my belly? Can I just focus on on the experience, on the direct experience? which would be the breath, right? Or which would be the rising and falling. The other piece is noticing that type of self-talk and seeing, you know, can I soften in this moment? Can I be a little gentler towards myself? Can I let go of this being good or bad? 
And can I just thank that voice kind of for sharing? And can I put it down so that I can come back to that idea of, you know, breathing really in and out? Hmm. And sometimes even just being able to say, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out can help disrupt that voice. And then the other piece you could do is you could move your, you know, your hand to your heart center and breathe from that place. I mean, there's other smaller exercises you can do in those moments where you're feeling a lot of charge around a conversation or someone. And if you just even, you know, visualize them in front of you, see them in front of you and see how you're really holding on to that conversation that you just had, just how you're connected. It's almost as if you see yourself connected to them. So strings, or maybe it's barbed wire, each person has kind of a different visual and you're seeing all the ways that you're still holding on to that event. Mm -hmm. And if you almost visualize taking out something that's like, you know, a scissor or whatever the tool is that can cut whatever these connections are. And as you cut, you're silently thinking to yourself, really, thank you. I love you. I forgive you. I'm sorry or anything that you need to be able to cut the cords <laughs> so that you end up creating more space around you and detaching. It's almost like you're detaching from the person, from the event, so that you can see a bit more clearly, feel a bit more grounded, can be really helpful as well. Mm. Cord cutting, how appropriate with one's mother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't, you can do it many, many times. Every day if you need to. I think I need to. Yeah. <laughs> um, that little preamble, mm-hmm. <laughs> Cynthia Kane, is because you teach people how to be mindful in their communication. You have a, a wonderful book called Communicate Like a Buddhist. And I'd love to talk about that because I think that anxiety and how we communicate is so mushed together. And of course, when we're anxious, we communicate differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't even know we're anxious and it affects how we communicate, right? Yeah. I'm curious, how did you even come to this place where you teach people how to communicate like Buddhists? Yeah. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's not something that when I was little, I thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I used to be very passive aggressive and very reactionary. And you know, I could drop a rubber band and it would be the worst possible scenario. I really had a hard time being in the present moment. I was very caught up in thinking about, you know, conversations that didn't go well, things I could have said that I didn't say. I would get caught up a lot in what other people were thinking about me or not expressing myself because I was really scared of the reactions that I would get from other people. So I had a really hard time articulating my wants and needs or asking for for anything. Hmm. And I had a hard time in silence. Silence was really difficult for me. I felt like I really needed to fill the space all the time. And I didn't know how uncomfortable I was in terms of communication. I really thought this was just the way that I communicated. I mean, I would look at other people and I would see other people kind of having a much easier time connecting, Mm -hmm. though I couldn't figure out how, like, okay, well, that's who they are, and this is who I am kind of thing. And I didn't really come face-to-face with it, though, until I, so I'd been with my first love for about seven and a half years, and we had decided to go our separate ways, really believing that the universe would bring us back together again, and it did about four years later. And it was amazing. We met when we were young. We were 18. Hmm. And by the time we had decided we wanted to kind of go our separate ways a little bit, we really had this idea that at some point we would be back in the same place or back together. And we came back together and we had an incredible conversation just around what didn't really work so well in our relationship. And a lot of it had to do with communication. And we had decided, okay, we're going to try this again. We're going to figure out how to be in each other's lives again. And then four months later, he passed away unexpectedly. And my entire world at that point just kind of blew up. And it was the lowest of the low for me. And I remember just 
really wanting to feel better and wanting somebody to come and kind of take all this pain away and all this fear and all this doubt and this worry that I was having away. And as much as everybody tried and people were very loving and supportive and there for me, but nothing was helping. And I realized at that time, you know, I was really going to have to figure this out on my own, Mm. how to really be here and enjoy being here and not die along with him. And so I, I really went on kind of my own journey or search to figure this out. And I took a lot of classes, seminars, did a lot of, you know, retreats, read tons and tons of books. And what I was finding was communication was a big part of this, but I wasn't ever getting the, well, this is how you shift, or this is how you change the way that you interact in the world or communicate with other people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was then introduced to a meditation and writing workshop at the Shambhala Institute in New York when I lived in New York. And I didn't know much about Buddhism at all, but I was trying everything. And so I went and that weekend completely changed my life because that's where I learned how to meditate. But then I also learned the elements of right speech in Buddhism, which are to tell the truth, don't exaggerate, use helpful language and don't gossip. And I thought to myself, this is it. Like this is my way out of suffering because I felt like if I wanted to change the way that I was living in the world, I was going to have to change the way I interacted with it, which then meant I was going to have to change the way I interacted with other people, which then meant I was going to have to figure out a way to change how I interacted with myself. And so I thought, okay, these are guidelines I can go by. But then I woke up the next day thinking, how in the world do you actually do this, right? How do you speak in a kind, honest, and helpful way? And that really became my practice. And I just began practicing figuring it out. As I began practicing, I found how my relationship started to feel richer. I wasn't reacting as much as I had been before. I wasn't as anxious. I wasn't as fearful. And things felt easier. And then I started writing about it. I started teaching it. And it wasn't just changing the way that I was connecting in my relationships, but it started changing others. And that's really how it all came to be. And then I, you know, I wrote another book in the series and the demand for it was there too, because, you know, it's common to get passive aggressive or to lash out or to, you know, completely shut down in difficult interactions or just in day-to-day interactions. And it's not something we're ever taught how to actually handle or work through to be able to then communicate. When we're feeling passive aggressive Mm -hmm. or acting passive aggressive, what are we feeling usually? So usually it's more sensation, right? Mm. So I focus a lot on the sensation of what passive aggressiveness feels like in the body. And for everybody, it will be different. Mm -hmm. You know, usually there's a sensation that happens, whether it's a tightness in the belly or a tightness in the jaw, or maybe, you know, the heart beats a little faster, you start sweating a little bit more and Each person will have a different feeling or emotion attached to these reactions, these kind of default reactions that we have. And for each person, it will be different. And usually it stems from things that have happened, past experiences that have created really an emotion. I call them core feelings. We usually have two. And if you think about any interaction you have, you think back to a difficult interaction where you get passive aggressive, you'll be able to dissect it a little bit. So you look at it and you think, okay, this is what happened. This is how I reacted. What was I really feeling there? And then if you have kind of a superficial feeling, which I usually think of as a feeling that anybody could feel, Mm -hmm. right? Like frustration, overwhelm, fear, those are kind of superficial in the sense that there's something under it that's really specific to you. So for me, for example, my passive aggressiveness, the sensation for me is really, it's almost like there's a balloon that's inflating in my body and I have to figure out a way to deflate the balloon (laughs) before I can express myself. But the feelings for me are feeling stupid and feeling invisible. Those are really my core feelings. And so anytime I'm in an interaction and I feel that sensation, I know that I'm feeling stupid or invisible that's really helpful because that gives me then room to be able to express myself and talk to it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really fascinating when people find their core feelings 
the sensation is beautiful too, because the sensation is really your cue to know I'm about to default into my old pattern, right? Like I'm about to become passive aggressive. Then you get to talk to yourself differently in that moment, really nurture yourself in that moment to be able to calm the body because so much is happening in your body. Your body in that moment doesn't feel safe. It feels very threatened. So you're in that sympathetic nervous system. So our work in communication is, can we access the parasympathetic nervous system in these moments? Can we find calm in the body and rest in the body and safety so that then we can express ourselves? I want to get into that in a bit, but first I'd love you to talk about the difference between reacting and responding. Yeah. So reacting is something that happens automatically. There's no thought involved. It just comes right out. Whereas with responding, you're really taking the time to think about what it is that you have to say or want to say or need to say before anything comes out of your mouth. So you're really slowing everything down, really becoming more of an observer so that you can figure out the best way to respond. And mindfulness happens when we start responding, not reacting. Is that right? Right. So mindfulness is really the act of responding because you're paying attention to what's happening with a gentle, friendly attention. You're no longer caught in the language of somebody else. You're no longer caught in the conversation. It's almost as if you're outside of it. You're looking in so that then you can choose the next best action. Hmm. So Cynthia, I want to focus on some default reactions that a lot of us have mm-hmm. when we're in a conversation that for whatever reason is making us uncomfortable. Passive aggression, mm-hmm. not speaking up when you want to, feeling like you I've shared before that sometimes I literally can't speak, like I lose my voice mm. when I have so many feelings happening. Mm-hmm. And and shutting down, I guess that is shutting down when there's so much feeling happening. I'd love to dive in to what is happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is happening in our physiology, in our mind, when we're in that conversation and we get triggered to act a certain way? What's happening really is our body is feeling threatened in some way. And so back in the day, right, way back in the day, <laughs> when we were being chased by tigers, all of that, we had these responses. And it was really important for us to be in our sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, freeze. And for us to, you know, run away from a threat or to worry and look around and make sure that we're safe and, you know, just be prepared and ready. Mm -hmm. And it really is hardwired within us to react to those moments where we feel threatened. Right. And What is, I think, really fascinating is that our minds can't tell the difference between a real threat, someone chasing after us, and, you know, a deadline at work. Right. So what happens for us when we're in these difficult interactions where we get triggered, in a sense, our body's response is, you are in a state of survival in that moment. You are being threatened. You are not safe. And so you go into your default reactions and your Mm -hmm. default reactions are there to protect you, right? So in this context, your default reactions are getting passive aggressive or not being able to express yourself or shutting down. And there are a whole host of them, though, you know, some people will lash out. Some people will lie. Some people will overexplain. Some people will (laughs) walk away. Some people will dodge. Some people will lie. Like we have so many different ones. Usually you have one that kind of starts maybe a chain reaction of the others. Ah. And what's interesting too is that you might have a default reaction, let's say at work, but that reaction is not the same in your personal life. Might be a completely different one. So what happens is we, you know, someone says something and it pierces our heart. We feel it right away and we automatically want to protect ourselves. And then that's when we go into our default reactions. So many people I work with that say, inside, I don't want to be mean. Like, I don't want to be yelling. I don't want to, you know, say things under my breath, but I can't help it. It's like it just happens. And 
it does just happen because like we said, you know, it's automatic because we're hardwired for this reaction because it's there to protect us. And so our work is really to challenge that. Our work is in that moment, it's almost like finding a new cycle, right? Where someone says something, it pierces our heart. And instead of putting our walls up or going into our sympathetic nervous system, can we find a way in that moment to soften, right? Can we find a way to use practices to relax the body, let the body understand that it's safe so that we can then express ourselves in the way that we respect, in a way that we want to and have conversation. And so soften is actually a word that even if you just say it when you're in difficult interactions, it will slow everything down and it will help you ground so that you can see clearly. But it also stands for, you know, practices that you can do in those moments as well. One of the most interesting things I think about these habitual reactions is that they are habitual, right? Yeah. They are they are our defaults and and they become habits and we all have our what I call our greatest hits, right? And so <laughs> and so we just go into that passive aggressive behavior because we've been doing it for 10 years and that's what we do, right? And your work is really about replacing that habitual reaction mm-hmm. with something that's a little bit more mindful and probably serves us and the people around us better, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the whole idea with the communication that I teach is around the idea of suffering less, right? So, and Mm -hmm. suffering is a big word, but it really means, you know, any kind of discomfort that we feel. So the purpose of communication is to help ourselves and others suffer less or to be more helpful and kind and honest to ourselves and with others. And so in these moments when we default, we're not being kind and helpful to ourselves and we're not being kind and helpful to someone else. And when we can shift out of that and we can become more skillful, it changes the whole conversation, not only with the other person, but with ourselves as well. And we begin to feel more connected. We begin to have, you know, just an easier flow Mm -hmm. of dialogue. And it's not something though that we're taught. It's something that, like you said, it's our greatest hits. And so we keep going back to it. And You know, I wish that I could say that you will never, ever default back, (laughs) you know, but you will. But the the difference is that you learn very quickly how to move yourself out of it. And I think it has to do also like your your greatest hits are informed by your upbringing, right, by your experience. Mm -hmm. In your experience, why might someone default to being passive aggressive or shutting down? Usually it's from what we see around us most Mm -hmm. of the time whether it's our parents, our siblings, teachers we've had, partners we've had, friendships we've had, we absorb so much of our communication styles from what we're surrounded by. And it also, I think each person is unique in that there are certain behaviors that feel like home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comfort comes from it being kind of passed down and passed through from generation to generation and generation. And so, so many people will say, well, it's so uncomfortable to do the opposite of that. Mm. And it's uncomfortable, right? Because it's like our home base to be those things, right? Our nervous system is kind of aligned to move into passive aggressive behavior or to shut down. And that feels comfortable, even though we know that it it's not helpful. And if we were raised where our voice wasn't listened to or we weren't given space to speak even, right, then Mm -hmm. that habit is much more comfortable. Yeah. And it's a lot of the ideas that, you know, be seen, not heard, Mm -hmm. or, you know, just not having a lot of space for emotion growing up as well, not being given the opportunity to feel and, you know, cry and express and it be shut down pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So we learn at a really young age what is appropriate in terms of the way that we are expressing ourselves and what's not. You know, if you're at the dinner table and you're really excited about something and you want to share it and you interrupt, you know, and then you get shot down for expressing yourself in that way over and over and over again, you just become really ingrained in that pattern of I shouldn't say this. If I say this, I'm going to get this reaction. And so, so much of it also becomes 
that fear of the other person's reaction or what will happen based off of past experiences. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. One thing that I found really fascinating about your work is that in the moment, you instruct people to focus on what they're feeling, not what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we get very caught in our thinking mind, and our thinking mind has a way of making up stories that aren't necessarily real and taking us down paths where we get very distracted. And, you know, when we were younger, we used our imagination in these really beautiful ways. Though as we get older, sometimes our minds have this way of just really using our imagination in a very unskillful way. (laughs) And it's so important first to be in the body because the body is really your first cue to know that you're about to default into a behavior in a conversation, right? Because you, you can tell very clearly when you're uncomfortable or you can tell very clearly when there's tightness in the body or your heart is beating faster. And the body is in the present moment. The body is living now. The body is giving you feedback now. And it's telling you everything you need to know. Because when you start to listen to the body, you are listening for the sensation in the body. You're listening to know what it is that you really want and what it is that you need. And most of the time we get caught in our thinking mind. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And the thinking mind usually talks us out of what we know inside. You know, that voice that's inside that says, pull over to Starbucks or pull over to this coffee shop and just get yourself something nice to drink, you know, and instead <laughs> you just drive by because you're like, oh, I should get home or you know, I need to do this or that. But there's that voice inside Mm -hmm. that is telling you what it is that you need to be able to say, to be able to express. And most of the time, it's our thinking mind that prevents us from doing it. And so things get really complicated for us. (laughs) What ends up happening is we are no longer congruent. So our insides don't match our outsides. So, you know, we're talking under our breath more, or we're saying yes, when we really want to say no. And Things get really confusing, but when we can start to go basically body first, thinking mind second, then we're able to know exactly what we need to ask for, what we need to express, how we can express it. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's quite amazing when we, we start to listen to ourselves first and go inward first before we can go outward. This is all just very personally ringing true. It's so funny. I'm I'm being very passive aggressive in a situation that I normally I don't even think I would be. And I I, I know what I want to say, but I don't want to say it because it right. feels too difficult to say it. Mm-hmm. Like the consequences aren't worth it. So I'm just being passive aggressive and then hoping it will go away. Right. But do you know that the consequences aren't worth it? Because that's what ends up happening, right? We talk to ourselves about situations and we make them really big in our minds and it helps us stay where we're at, right? Because the passive aggressive behavior, it serves us in some way. Mm -hmm. It helps us, you know, stay small if we want to stay small. It prevents us from failing potentially, right? And it's really, it's helped us get to where we are in many ways. Though what ends up happening is we start to, you know, let these reactions potentially of others that we create in our minds 
prevent us from expressing ourselves. And because then we don't express ourselves, then we continue the cycle and we get even more passive aggressive and then we get resentful and then we blame. And then next thing you know, we get move into another default reaction, which is lashing out. And then it becomes a whole nother piece, right? <laughs> God. And then I, I think that it does take practice to be able to move through that fear of expressing and really learning how to work with the fear so that then you can say what you need to say. Yeah. So how would you counsel me if I were in one of your workshops and I mm -hmm. said, you know, my default is I get really passive aggressive and my inside is a boiling cauldron, but my outside is mostly quiet and then some really snarky comments or, mm -hmm. you know, insisting yeah. things are fine while communicating things are not. Mm -hmm. Well, so first I'd want to know like the specific instance that you're working with. And then understanding that to be able for you first to identify what is passive aggressive feel like in your body, right? Like when you think of that interaction that you've just had where you got passive aggressive, what was happening in your body? Tight jaw, tight throat. My throat gets so tight mm -hmm. and then my breath gets tight. So then in that moment, what you're going to do when you start to feel that tight jaw and the tight throat. Right now, your focus is where when you're in that conversation, when that happens. Do you know where your attention is? Like, how are you talking to yourself in that moment? What are you saying to yourself in that moment? It's not on the interaction. It's on what I'm thinking about the interaction. That's the key, right? What you're thinking about the interaction. Mm -hmm. And so what are you thinking about the interaction? Let's just do a hypothetical that I think a lot of people will relate to, which is I might have a client who has asked me to do extra work mm -hmm. and I'm resentful because they're not paying me for this extra work. It's outside of scope. But for various reasons, I don't want to bring it up with the client. It just feels like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Yeah. This could be your boss too. So, okay. so then I'm feeling. So then you're feeling passive aggressive. In the moment that you're feeling passive aggressive, instead of the attention being on the frustration or the anger, mm -hmm. can you start talking to yourself differently in that moment? So you begin to soften towards yourself in that moment because you're hurting in that moment. You're feeling something in that moment. Mm -hmm. Do you know what you feel when you're getting passive aggressive or What's the feeling for you when you are being given more work, you know, it's taking too much time and it's not something that you want to be doing? What's the feeling that you feel by that event, right? Like by that situation? I think for me, and, and, I, and I will say to anyone who's listening out there who might be my client, I actually have done a ton of work on this. So this is something I used to do, but I don't mm -hmm. do it anymore. But what I used to feel although I still have lots of passive aggression in my life, don't worry. What I used to feel is anger because mm -hmm. I w a big issue for me is not feeling respected and compensated for my time and expertise. Mm -hmm. And when I feel that people aren't respecting me and compensating me for my time and expertise, I get angry mm -hmm. and resentful and yet often feel that I cannot assert for various reasons. And sometimes I can't, you can't. Sometimes you actually can't, right? You have right. to suck it up. So what I would usually say in this moment, I would probably ask you to go a little deeper with the feelings. But let's just say, for example, that in that moment you're feeling undervalued. Maybe you're feeling unappreciated. Maybe you're feeling helpless. So then the work becomes, okay, well, so if these are your feelings in that moment where you're feeling unappreciated and helpless really isn't the right feeling, but let's just go with unappreciated. <laughs> then once you identify that, now you're able to have a conversation. So before you get to the actual conversation, you have to decide what type of conversation that you want to have. So you're either going to be sharing something with the person Mm -hmm. or you're going to be asking for something to change, or you're going to be letting them know that you've made a decision about something. Mm. So those are really the three types of conversations that we usually need for a difficult conversation. Most people 
think difficult conversations, usually most people go to number two or number three and they all do them kind of at the same time, but usually (laughs) we break them up. So what type of conversation do you think you need to have? I'm sorry, can you remind me number one again? Number one is sharing. So number one would kind of look like sharing that, you know, over these last few weeks, you've been, you know, giving me more work than usual. And I want to let you know that I'm having a difficult time taking on that much work right now. So you're not asking for anything. You're just sharing kind of what's coming up for you. Hmm. I think asserting. Okay. Yeah. So that's really the second one. So that's asking for something to change, right? Okay. So right now, when you have a conversation, if you were to go and you in your mind, what does this conversation look like? I think that it would look like coming with a solution, right? Because you can't just come and complain. Mm-hmm. And maybe even having some supporting evidence. Okay. If there's numbers behind it. You know, I think asking for what you need, but giving yourself, you know, an, a good solid argument behind it. And I think also maybe even rehearsing that conversation, right? Like practicing mm-hmm. it so that you feel better about like not going into bad behavior. Okay. And so what is the outcome that you want? What behavior or what does this other person need to change so that you don't feel the way that you feel? I think there are three ways it could change. The first is that they could pay more money. Mm -hmm. The second is that they could reduce the amount that they're asking for, right? Mm -hmm. Don't violate that scope. The third is that they could say, look, I, I know that this might be outside of your scope. I appreciate you, but we're strapped right now. We need a little extra help. Is that okay with you? Okay. And what do you want? I think I would like to get paid more money. Okay. So now you know what you're asking for, Mm -hmm. right? You're asking for more money. Okay. Usually what prevents us from having the conversation is that in our mind, it can look kind of like a tornado, right? We say something and then the reaction, we're kind of bracing ourselves for what the reaction could potentially be. And before going into the conversation, your practice is to see, can you hold whatever reaction comes? So I often think of it as like the Atlas man. Do you know that image? Sure. Rockefeller Center. Yes. It's Prometheus, right? Or Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. Yes. Yes. So in that moment, right, you ask for what you need and then your work is to hold the reaction. There's no good or bad reaction here. Every type of reaction is a-okay because all we're trying to do is gather information, Mm. okay? So if they are not able to commit to what you're asking, that's okay because now you just have more information to then decide, do I need to have another conversation about this? Is this okay for me? If this is okay for me, that means I am, you know, not going to be thinking about it all the time. I'm not going to be talking to other people about it all the time. It's not going to change the way that I'm interacting with this client. That actually means that you are 100% okay with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you can't access those, then that means you're probably going to need to have another conversation at some point. And if they can commit to it, that's great. Mm-hmm. Right. So knowing that is really important because your work is to just hold the reaction. Okay. So then you have all the pieces now that you need for just the conversation that you want to have, which is, you know, what's been happening, which is that you've been getting more work and not more pay, right? <laughs> or you, and you know, you're feeling, so you've been feeling unappreciated because of it. And you know what it is that you need to change so that you don't feel this way anymore, which is being paid more for what you're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now you get to go in and you get to say, these last few weeks or so, you know, when I've been given more, you know, more work and not seeing an increase in pay, I felt really unappreciated. And I know that that's not your intention. As we go forward, I would like to see, you know, an extra 350 towards this project or whatever it is. And that's it. Like That's all you say. And then you're done. You stop. You don't bring in any supporting evidence? No, 
no supporting evidence. Hmm. You just ask because what happens when we bring in supporting evidence or we bring in all these other things is we distract the other person from what it is that we're asking for. And so we give them the opportunity to get distracted, which then gives us the opportunity to backtrack on what it is that we're asking for. Or get defensive because they start attacking our numbers or asking too many questions. Wow, you just blew my mind. So this way it's clear, it's concise and conscious. And those are the three pieces you need because that is how somebody can hear you. Mm -hmm. So then you stop and then it's on them. And they can go all over, right? They can dance over here and they can (laughs) dance over there. But you're just holding them and you're just seeing what's happening. Oh, I'm making them uncomfortable. Oh, I can see they're going into their default reaction. Oh, I can see that they don't really know how to respond to this. And you're just kind of sports guessing to yourself what's happening or you're working with what's going on in your body, which is feeling uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. then that's when you kind of bring in these other practices of maybe, you know, squeezing your fist, pushing it into your leg. Maybe you start rubbing your chest a little bit. Again, you're calming the body, letting the body know that it's safe, that you're doing an okay thing. You're talking to yourself in the moment, maybe just letting yourself know we're okay. We've got this. I'm proud of you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you receive the information and it's information. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will come back and say, well, you know, I've tried to talk about this or I've tried this and it doesn't work, but you really haven't tried it this way because it's very, (laughs) very clear and cut and concise. And you just take out everything that's unnecessary and you really focus on those three pieces and then you get the feedback. And I always find though that the difficulty is is post ask, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. maybe they're taking time to think about it and then you're feeling anxious, so you're passive aggressive, or they say no. Yes. And then you're really you're angry, but you are passive aggressive because you need the income, right? Mm-hmm. You're not gonna leave. Well, but then that becomes your next decision, right? Mm. Because you then get to decide. You have the information. And you can be frustrated by it and upset about it and feel all the sensation in the body that's like, oh, you want to shut down right now. Oh, you want to get passive aggressive right now. But uh uh-uh, we're not going to do that because we are going to talk to ourselves differently in this moment. And we're going to say, we've got this. We're okay. I know you're feeling stupid right now. I know you're feeling helpless right now, but we've got this. And then you're going to be able to continue a conversation, right? You then, though, get to make the decision. You get to decide, is this okay for me or is this not okay for me? Right. And I mean, I know that everyone has different circumstances and things of that sort, though, you know, maybe then there's a plan B. Mm-hmm. So maybe once you're clear again, right? Because what happens when we let the motion come, it just takes over us. Right. And it dictates our conversations. It dictates the way that we react or the way that we respond. And so our work is to see, oh, this is the emotion talking. Let me just work through the emotion, meaning let me allow the emotion to be here. I'm not going to push it away. I'm not going to get angry at it. I'm just going to sit with it for a minute. And then I'm going to see, can I just, can I kind of move it to the side so I can access myself again and think? And think. And then think, oh, actually, maybe, you know, maybe there's a way that if I could cut back on the hours here, right? Mm -hmm. I could do the work, but... Maybe I don't give 110%. Maybe I only give 80%. So you start to see maybe there are ways you can brainstorm so that you can stay if you need to stay. Yeah. What's interesting is that in all of this, you're acknowledging all the inner dialogue and thinking that's happening. Like part of me thought that as a meditation teacher, Mm -hmm. you would just say, bring your mind back to the present moment. Shut down the monkey mind. Bring your mind back to the present moment. And you're not saying that. Like, no. I'm having a really rich inner dialogue yes. <laughs> while this is happening. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're noticing your inner dialogue. That's your work, right? Your work is to notice the inner dialogue and for you to connect with yourself in that moment. Because so often in our interactions, we want the other person to be the nurturing one in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? We want the other person to be the one to be like, I'm sorry, this didn't go well, or, you know, you've been doing 
such a, a wonderful job. We want the validation from the other person. We want the praise from the other person in conversation, especially if it's difficult. But we have to give it to ourselves because in that moment, we're hurting. In that moment, we are protecting ourselves because we feel something so strongly. So we now have to be the ones to see that feeling, that sensation. And we have to be the ones to say, it's okay that it's here. We have to acknowledge it. We have to hold the door open to it. And then once we hold the door open to it, it just walks through and it doesn't last very long, but it will last longer if we're pushing against it. Right. As we close out, can you offer us a meditation or a simple softening exercise when we know that we're trying to get out of the passive aggressive habit or we're just prepping for a difficult conversation? Yeah. So I think something that's nice to do, especially if you're prepping for a difficult conversation and you're feeling a lot of fear around it or anxiety, or you have a lot of big emotions around it is to do, I call it a put it down visualization so we can do it together. Hmm. So you can go ahead and close your eyes and just settle into the space that you're in and just notice the body here. Just kind of check in with the body, see how it's feeling right now. And we can start by taking three long, slow, deep breaths, beginning at the belly and then coming up through the chest and then the nostrils. And then on the exhale from the nostrils, back down through the chest, out the belly. And let your breathing return to its natural rhythm and depth. There's no need to force or control the breath. Just see if you can let it be easy, let it be natural. And begin to notice the sounds around you. Sound is not a barrier to the practice. We want to invite it in. And go ahead now and bring your hands in front of you and open them like you would a book. And I want you to think of all of the fear or the anxiety or the doubt and the worry that you're having right now, right? The worry about the next conversation or sadness that you feel from the past conversation you just had. And it might mean you have to force it in the beginning, but really bringing forth all of the things that you're nervous about in terms of conversations that you may need to have or the times where you've been passive aggressive and that's been really harmful, the things that you're upset at yourself for, just really kind of silently saying, or you can say it out loud. And what you're going to do is you're going to see all of these land in your hands. So it can be being scared of somebody else's reaction, being nervous to ask for what you need. scared of a presentation coming up, whatever it might be that is distracting you right now, making it hard to breathe sometimes, just silently name it and see it falling into your hands. And nothing bad comes from saying what may feel negative. And as you start to see it pile up, it can take shape in some way. So there's now weight to it. It becomes somewhat tangible, concrete. And it may take on a different shape, some type of object that you're now holding in your hands. And now you can go ahead and feel the object in your hands, just feel the weight of it. And you can find a place, maybe you have a dresser that you want to go and you want to put it down on. Maybe you want to imagine that you're throwing it into a river or throwing it over a fence or digging in the ground and putting it in the ground. But find a place to put it down. And as you put it down, you can just say thank you so much for being here and helping me get to the places that I am. 
I'm grateful for you, but I no longer need you now. It's no longer helpful, so I'm putting you down. And take a deep breath. And you can exhale out the mouth. And when you're ready, you can circle the wrists, maybe roll the shoulders, circle the head. And you can slowly blink the eyes open. Just notice the shapes and colors around you. And come back. How did that feel? That felt good. It was hard for me not to become distracted with all my Mm -hmm. feelings when I was trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And let my imagination go to work. Yeah. That's the noticing and the observing that we Mm want to do. Mm -hmm. And just really observing that those patterns is really helpful because you become familiar then with the distraction. And so much of the meditation piece, which is really important with communication, is what it teaches us to do is it teaches us to notice the distraction, to notice when we're caught in a thought and when we're in the present moment so that we can really start to say, okay, I'm distracted right now. I'm thinking about all these other things while I'm sitting here with this other person. And now I'm just going to look at them and be like, okay, thanks for sharing. But now I'm going to come back to the present moment and I'm going to look at the other person that I'm talking to, right? So it helps us change our relationship to those thoughts that we don't get caught in them so often. I love that. I'm going to practice that. I find it really helpful. That's it for today. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends. I would love you to leave a review because they really matter in helping the show get found. You could also follow us or subscribe. If you have a question for me or you want to submit an idea for the show, find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow me, message me, I promise I'll write back, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the Anxious Achiever world. Thanks for listening.